Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Four Jack Podcast. Today we are joined by the president and commissioner of the Vancouver Golf Tour, Mr. Fraser Mulholland. Fraser discusses how the VGT has dealt with the pandemic and how they have made a terrific bounce back to what seemed like a potential disaster season. We also got into his past and how his love of the game led him to Australia and South Africa and even the Canadian Tour, playing at events all around the world and picking up the knowledge he needed to form the groundwork for the Vancouver Golf Tour. It was a pleasure to have Fraser on the pod, someone who has had such a tremendous impact on the Canadian game. So we hope everyone enjoys the show today as much as we did. Cheers. Here it comes. Welcome back to the Four Jack Podcast, brought to you by our friends over at Jackson Labs. We're back here in said lab on a beautiful Edmonton summer day. Not pegging it, but that's okay because you know what? We got a nice guest in here today to talk about some, uh, some to be honest, real exciting golf. Even more exciting lately than a lot of tour events I've seen. So I'm ready to just dive into this. But before we even do that, let's just say hello to the boys as usual. Tombo, what up? Not too much, bud. Yeah, speaking of the beauty out there, I just got back from a little range session. Um, super pumped about that, but more importantly, yep, VGT is huge. There's a lot of action happening out there. We just had a 12-year-old who played on a VGT event that's had hole-in-ones doing crazy things, and I'm looking forward to sitting down with the man with the vision behind the VGT and dive into his history. Absolutely. Next up, the man who really just lined up great interview for us today speaking of the vgt a man that wishes he was playing on the vgt mr parkinson what's up i gotta say tom i think you stole my material really excited to have fraser uh vgt commissioner ally commissioner on the show tonight but more importantly i just want to validate like what his mindset is letting these 12 and 13 year olds on the vgt to beat up the pros i mean Love this it. is just this is getting out of hand here. So maybe he can give us a little insight into what they're feeding those kids out there. Absolutely. And as Parksy alluded to there, today we have on the president and the big commish, the commissioner of the Vancouver Golf Tour, Fraser Mulholland. What's happening? Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be on the show. And uh, it's a sunny day here in uh, Burnaby, British Columbia as well. Uh, no golf, just like you. Uh, recover a recovery day for the commish uh those 16 hour days uh in our two-day events they kind of get the better of me but um yeah it was certainly a great uh two-day event out at the Travelland rv ledgy open where kevin stinson took down all uh contenders 178 players a full field we had about 40 players in the wait list just couldn't get them all in but uh kevin made a great birdie on 18 to uh to win by one mm-hmm. yeah exciting weekend and you know what honestly since you guys have come back it VGT has just been thriving. I mean, it's exciting golf to watch. I mean, everybody was talking about the PGA Tour coming back and mini tours and everything, and it was just really nice to see a, a Canadian mini tour just thrive in these circumstances. Especially without the McKenzie Tour coming back. It's yeah. like a little more emphasis on what you're doing out there in Vancouver, which is super cool. 
It, it has, it's been cool. And it's, you know, it's a mix, it's mixed emotions for me and, and as well as for some of the top players in our tour, because as much as this is a great thing for a lot of players, it's a bit of a step back for some of them, you know, a Chris Crisoligo, a James Allenby, um, who were sort of looking to arc their careers forward and, uh, and move certainly at least onto the McKenzie tour this year and step one step closer to uh, the corn Ferry and towards the PGA tour. So yeah, there's a, there's a few players that are having you know a tough time um, thinking that this is it for them this year, and um, and I get that you know as a player, um, the last thing you want to do is to have your career halted, and um, but on the sec- same uh, token, um, you know our fields have never been bigger, and um, other than you know losing a few sponsors at the beginning of this year, that sort of cut in is going to definitely cut into our bottom line, considering where we where we were at three months ago, and uh, having golf being pushed right aside thinking we may not have a season. We may not have one sponsor. We may have to refund a whole bunch of sponsorship checks and a whole bunch of membership checks. And really the, the lifeline of VGT was really on the, the cusp of maybe not even happening in 2021. I was honestly for a couple of weeks there thinking about what I was going to do, bag groceries, sell cars like uh, VGT could have died a really ugly death after 14 years of so much work and uh, passion that has been poured into it from not just me, but, you know, dozens of people that have supported the tour through volunteerism and through uh, our team members who have come out week in, week out. We do 50 events a year and there's probably eight to 10 people who come out to almost every single event and there's no VGT without them. And uh, for it to have to even think about that, uh, just dying on the spot because of COVID, I mean, it was pretty, pretty few few dark nights uh thinking about what the heck is yeah, going on just, and and now three months later golf is in an unbelievable state having a resurgence of you know non-golfers coming back to golf just because it was the thing to choose to do safely and uh we're very fortunate to be in this industry that we can do outdoors and we can do it safely uh i have to give my hats off to some of the golf courses in our region at least that stayed open throughout the whole thing even though there were some some uh, emails that went out that uh, were, were stating stay inside, you know, close the golf courses, which almost all of them did. There were a few that were pretty bold and uh, they got the protocols in place and they made the golf courses very safe for all the members and all the public players who came out and they, and they came out in droves. When there was only half a dozen golf courses open in BC at one point, those golf courses were getting just just packed with people they'd never seen before. And, um, and they did it very safely. They spread the tea times out. Uh, they told people don't come, you know, more than 20 minutes before. And, you know, it was, it was no problem uh, other than having no rakes in the bunkers, pins staying in, figuring out what was the best method to keep the ball, you know, bouncing out of the hole. Um, golf has never been so active and still bustling. And I think it's all across Canada. It's not just in BC. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, before we even go to the VGT things, I mean, golf, <laughs> They're talking about it. It is like a golf boom right now. I mean, when yeah. it came back, and we've talked about it many times on the pod, it, it's the, it was the only thing, and it kind of still is the only thing that people can do. And it's not just Canada. I mean, it's Canada and the U.S. I mean, tee times yeah. have been up by 30% in some places in the States. And I mean, I know here in Edmonton, it's near impossible to actually get a tee yeah. time. Yeah, like you're looking at 8.30 p.m. Yeah. if you want to just sneak out. <laughs> Like we're talking, yeah, and we're talking to guys here at local tracks. Like I mean, Cardiff, a track that we play at a lot, or the Quarry, they're booked from six thirty till eight o'clock every single day. And it's like, 
it's insane. Like the quarry has been putting through almost 500 players a day. And it's like that. Those are numbers that I I don't think many golf courses have ever really seen here in Edmonton. And imagine, uh, and this is with uh, golf courses losing all of their corporate golf, you know, no weddings. And imagine when the time comes when corporate golf can come back and shotguns can happen and dinners can be had upstairs in the lounge afterwards imagine the the pressure that's going to put on for regular players to be able to find a tee time when it's already there now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, was, what was your take on trying to reestablish the VGT and trying to lock down some of those courses? And what was the response back from some of those places where you had past events? Was it open arms? Were they pretty shut off to it? It was a mixed bag. And, um, you know, those that had stayed open, Ledgeview, um, Sandpiper, uh, courses that were a little bit more out in the valley that weren't quite as busy to start, they continue to stay open. And that's where we went to because we ultimately had, we put the schedule on hold for about a month with a plan to relaunch out at uh, Morgan Creek, which is, uh, you know, a central golf course, of the city, a very popular golf course. And um, that was our hope that we would start uh, third week. I think it was August the 20 or sorry, April the 23rd and um, about four or five days before um, they'd been getting messages that, um, in Surrey, uh, the bylaw officers were being very rigid. They were showing up, you know, three times a day, just checking all the social distancing and, you know, were there any parking lot parties going on? And, you know, and the last thing they wanted to do was to, to feel like a group size of maybe 120 players on our tour, you know, and when we do things on the tour, we, we, we normally put banners and tents and, and make it look like it's a pretty big show. And so it was actually, there was almost a directive to uh, just to forewarn uh, Morgan Creek and uh, Northview, which were in Surrey, to just roll out a little bit slower, uh, to roll out with your tee time spread apart, uh, maybe members first, and uh, certainly don't do tournaments. And that was the message that was handed down from another golf course operator who did stay open. And I get that. It just it was really bad timing for us. Um, five days before where we had 120 players ready to go for two day major. And all of a sudden it was, what the, what the heck do we do now? Mm-hmm. And you know what, uh, made a few phone calls, you know, luckily we have some really good friends in the industry. We, uh, we booked a few days later, instead of it being Thursday, Friday, we went the following Monday, Tuesday, and, uh, we shuffled everyone over and we still had 110, uh, for the first two days and we rolled out and, uh, we continued to book with golf courses that were open and ready. And, and show them, you know, we're not doing the same things we normally do. We're not putting all the banners up. We're going to keep the message quiet. We're not going to post social media. We're not going to applaud that we're out there and get criticized and have a whole bunch of people taking photos. We're just going to keep it quiet. We're going to do as you want us to do. We're not going to interfere with any kind of normal flow. Players won't show up until maybe 25 minutes for their tea time so that it's nice and spread out. There's not going to be any photos from people in the woods checking to make sure that because that was that was no hecklers out in the woods i know that's been happening here even at public golf courses when they first came back like there was people getting fined like fifteen hundred dollars for standing too close to someone it's like geez how do you run a golf tournament yeah and and uh, believe me we had to uh abide by a lot of measures just as the local golf courses are um we like you said 30 minutes before normally guys would show up an hour and a half before their tee time and this was just going to be the way it is. You know, guys, if you want to play the tournament, these are the guidelines. And that was new for us was read this before you play. 
And it was a list of about a dozen COVID policies that we had in, uh, instrumented as well as the golf courses. And we had to abide by them. And if you don't want to abide by these, if you, if you want to try and show up an hour early, you're going back to your car. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. We, we just can't have congestion. We can't have those, those opportunities where somebody who may just be showing up to see how busy it is, takes a few shots, sends it to the bylaw officers and shuts not only VGT down, but shuts that golf course down. Yeah. And that's the last thing we want to be ever taking part in is causing a golf course to shut down. So it, it was a tough, the first few events were, were quite tough in that, you know, the players weren't used to it. Um, guys, a little further apart. <laughs> yeah. And then at the final scoring, um, make sure you stand by the cones because that's where we want you nice and spread apart instead of them normally sitting down together and checking their scorecards. So we had to uh, adopt a lot of procedures. You know, and surely, slowly but surely, uh, as we went on, in, in, I mean, this is our, I think, 14th event already. Um, the guys just got used to it. We found uh, Golf Genius had a, a live scoring uh, feature on the app. So we send a code out to the players the night before, and they can score on the phone. We still have a paper card, but uh, instead of handing the cards and changing cards at the end of the day, we have a, a method where they sign the same card twice. And uh, okay. we do the reading out. We read it to our operator who who enters the scores into the computer all the scores are already entered everyone's complying there's a few groups that um you know they complain about the data it's about 100 kilobytes it's it's no data right. um but but eventually people will get with the times and this is maybe the way we might do uh scoring down the road and, and the neat thing about it is if you guys are following from home the fact the players are all doing it for us it's now live scoring we yeah. don't we don't need a walking score it's been great Mm -hmm. yeah and it seems like the reaction from the players has been okay like you said they adapted quite quickly and i mean obviously like you said 14th event now the the courses have opened up to the ideas and i know some we've gone into some different phases now and it's yeah. you can kind of get away with a bit more but even in the early on in the beginning of it i mean for a lot of players like this is their lot not livelihood but part of it and it's not like you're doing anything different than when the course course is open. It's just guys going out to play. There's just money on the line. Exactly. <laughs> you shouldn't really and be taking anything away from that. No. And I think the, the good thing about our tour and how we run the events is there's not a heavy focus on the after, uh, like there's no big dinner. There's no big award ceremony other than maybe five or six of our events where we, we do partnerships with uh, existing charities or the greater Vancouver board of trade where there are big tournaments, big pro-ams for their people to come play with our pros, and there is a big dinner afterwards. Well, five out of six of those have gone away. The Board of Trade is going to, they're still working on a plan to do um, a, a first intensity start where we'll all finish, spread out. They'll have a little bit of something afterwards. It's not going to be the same, but there might be 20 people in the room instead of 120. And um, you just have to, to go with the flow this year. And uh you know, just notice that, know that uh, it's going to be more golf focused and, and less after dinner focused. Less social. Yeah, yeah, which is good too. Like that's why we came here to a degree is to see who can play. And it's, it's yeah, it's cool that you figured out a way to keep this engine moving rather than like it completely shut down. And it's like, yeah, let's, we'll be a little stealthy about it. We don't need to like, yeah, it's just, we came here because we love golf and we all want to go somewhere with it. And that like, let's not yeah. lose that focus. And it's like, yeah, if we grind our gears to a halt and stop this like starting that up may be a lot harder than just making some sacrifices on having dinners showing up an hour yeah. before and 
let's at least keep this moving, right? It'd be hard to reignite that phrase, don't you think? Like, if you really shut it down, there's a lot of guys that might start looking elsewhere or, or you know, focus on something else at that point. So that'd be, that'd really, be really tough. I really think so. And, you know, what's happened is with us starting and, uh, and launching our, our series in the spring, nothing else was going. But all the junior tours weren't ready. And, you know, given their, their national junior tours, the CJGA, um, the Maple Leaf Junior Tour, um, and they have a lot more provinces to think about. And obviously BC was the, the province that really thrived because our, um, our spring break was two weeks later and just very lucky that, uh, people hadn't started traveling yet. So we could kind of keep them from going down South and coming back with the virus. And, um, so BC has been well ahead as far as low numbers. So we got to start earlier. We're lucky. And because we're a regional tour, uh, we got off the ground before anyone else. And trust me, like we have about 70 new junior members this year playing our tour. Wow, and that that's is, crazy. It's, am- it's amazing. And um, if we had not been there, they would have had nothing for the first two or three months. And here's a great example of getting a head start of, of any other province. We had a young girl, it's uh, 14 years old, uh, Ye Ji, um, Lim is her name. And she's played half a dozen of our events in the spring. Uh, Alberta Amateur was just last week. She, she went and played in that and she won it. Wow, and, um, you know, it's, it's not just because of EGT, but she had, she had preparation. She had a chance to compete and play and not just with other juniors, but she got to measure her game against some top amateurs and some pros. And I think one of the events she actually got to play with some pros and there she was, she was ready to win. Huge stepping stone, huge developmental tour, huge opportunity. Something that's always been lacking in the Canadian golf landscape is that opportunity to really compete at that level i mean being a cpga professional is one thing and playing in those kinds of events but a lot of these guys are maybe off season between can tour or something in the u.s so it's a great great testing ground and, and i don't know if you guys get enough attention or enough sort of pats on the back but what you've done and what you've developed fraser is phenomenal and it's it's just going to continue to grow and be a presence i'm not going to let you say anything now because I want you to take us all the way back, all the way back to where it all started. Like, how did you get introduced to the game of golf? What what developed that passion? Well, I was uh, again just fortunate. I, I grew up in Scotland. Uh, I was born there and uh, lived in Aberdeen till I was about nine years old. And so, you know, there was no hockey skates. There was no hockey there. So it was uh, golf was the game. It's we part played of the fabric the, of life. There. The links. We the, the links. <laughs> we played. We played a bit of football. Yeah, and uh, we play golf, and so ate some yeah, haggis and occasionally, yeah. right? Ate some haggis occasionally. Ate some haggis, yeah. We had some haggis and uh, some skink. I don't know if you know what skink is. No, educate our listeners. Know. Educate, yeah. It's give us a deep fried pizza, is it? It's uh, the kind of soup. I tried it. Uh, I went back to my roots uh, about fifteen years ago and had a bowl of skink, and uh, it was my first and last bowl of skink. <laughs> That's where I got my start and we moved to Canada uh, in the late uh, 70s and you know we were lucky again to to be brought in but my my dad's brother had moved into Canada a lot earlier and um, the, the promise was better in Canada than Scotland so uh, my, my uncle was a, was a member at Beach Grove. Uh, when we moved to Tawaston we, we lived just above a small public golf course. It was perfect uh, size. It was a shorter municipal length course. 
So my brother and I became uh, junior members there when we were about 10 years old. We had a little side business. We were throwing the bicycle baskets in the pond and dredging for golf balls, made a few bucks, bought our few for first uh, sets of clubs. And, um, and that was, I guess, where the journey started. That's the entrepreneurial spirit, if I've ever heard it. Yeah, Man, I, remember, say, I remember walking through the ponds trying to dig for golf balls, and you guys had a better system. I wish I would have even thought of that back then. Man, it would have well, saved we started, us. We started, with, uh, we started with the boots, the rubber boots in the, in the uh, ditches, and uh, you could feel them in the rubber boots, and, uh, but those were pretty muddy. Oh, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> those were pretty – especially they've been there a long time. So we, we kind of graduated our thinking, we, and I think we actually saw someone in the, at the lake um, – and we went, what's he doing? We went over, ventured over there and we saw them whoo, 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 and whirling out. this basket into there. And we're <laughs> yeah. like, oh yeah, that's much better. Much yeah. better. So we went, off, we went to the, off we went to the hardware store, bought a bicycle basket. And uh, I still didn't have enough money to buy a really long rope. So I found something uh, from my mom and dad's shed. And uh, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't very long. And I went down that next night. And I went and tossed it in, and the and the basket went all the way in. I didn't have a full grasp on it. I lost my basket. <laughs> no, and, I mean a ten year old boy, and I was bawling my eyes out because there there was all my profits. Yeah, <laughs> my livelihood is just now <laughs> back to square one after a good scale up. And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget this moment. I ran home crying to my mom and dad, and my dad came back down with me, and he waded in there into this dirtiest of dirty ponds i mean there were muskrats in that thing oh. the size of like yeah my dad went up to his neck and he was feeling for it and he and he pulled it out for me no, what a, well, he was my he was my hero dedication <laughs> yeah and uh yeah so the golf golf entrepreneurial spirit was uh in my blood from day one and um you know a couple of years later my brother and i uh thanks to my uncle and um, I don't know if you know a guy called Harry White. Harry White was a, a legend in junior golf in British Columbia. His brother, Dick White, um, he and his brother were the founders of the BC Golf Museum, uh, which is at the back of the University Golf Club. Yeah, anyway, Dick, Dick was a member at Beach Grove. So my uncle and Dick uh, signed my brother and I in as junior members at Beach Grove. And, um, you know, through our young junior years, we started working in the back shop at uh, Beach Grove when I was about 15. And then we both kind of graduated away into the front shop. And, um, you know, I did a stint at UBC. I played golf uh, with his brother. Harry White was our coach at UBC and played golf for, with them for four years with my brother. A really cool experience for both of us. And we studied a tiny bit and uh, golfed <laughs> yeah. a lot. And, uh, yeah, we both knew we were going to be in the golf business uh, at some point. Uh, my brother was a business major and I was a psychology major. But it was truly the... the uh, the life in the, in the university, we were both in the fraternity. We both mixed out with playing lots and competing, traveling down. Our, our coach, Harry White, got us to all these great tournaments. Uh, we went to play Stanford, Oregon State, Oregon, Washington. I mean, he had, he, because of his status in uh, junior golf and uh, a tour that he started called the American Junior America's Cup, mm -hmm. which was a competition against... Uh, uh, BC, Washington State, Oregon, California, and I think even Alberta is in that is involved in that too. Yeah, I think uh, U of A plays in that event. Yeah. yeah, and he started that off, so he got to know all the golf coaches down in the states. And all of a sudden, you know, we're we're traveling to these beautiful destinations, and you know, 
there wasn't much of a budget, but Harry raised as much as we could and we take a van down there. And, um, it's changed a lot since when we were down there because, uh, I think there were some six packs, uh, cracked on the way down and no, there weren't no. any beers left when we got there. I know that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it was oh, just pops. a great experience and we <laughs> fell in love with the game and fell in love with competing. And, um, but I wasn't that good, you know, and, um, I, I really hadn't disciplined myself. I, I, I loved golf and I played, I practiced a little bit. I worked a little bit on my golf swing. You know, my, my, uh, pro at beach Grove was great. He was, uh, one of our best mentors where he just would let us play in anything we wanted. Um, there was a point when I, I kind of got sick of my brother beating, beating up on me when I was about 16. Uh, he was always a little better, always a little stronger. And I just said, screw this enough of golf. I'm going to tennis cause he's not playing tennis. So I kind of kicked the clubs to the side for about a year, but my head, my head pro, I guess I was kept asking for weekends off from the golf shop. And he just finally said, okay, phrase, you got to make a decision here. You want to stay working here? You got to drop the tennis racket. No more weekends off for tennis tournaments. I'll give you every weekend off you want. If you want to go compete in a golf tournament, I never touched the racket ever that ever again. <laughs> and, and that was it. Golf was in golf was going to be my game. And, uh, unfortunately in our high school year, my brother's high school team were very good. They won the BC championships. Um, and then next year we might've had a shot, but, uh, it, we didn't have any golf that, that spring. Um, there was a work to rule where the teachers didn't do any after school activities. They, they, uh, had a strike on that. But, um, soon after that went to UBC and, and played on the team for four years. Took me a while to travel. Like, again, I wasn't that good. Uh, but I worked my way onto the team. And the last couple of years, I managed to travel with the team and play most of the tournaments. Um, and then I knew that I was going to get into golf at some point. So my, my pro said, if you want to apprentice here, uh, you can certainly do that. There's a playability test. You got to pass that first. And, uh, and you got to do some, back then it was lab reports. And uh, there was a five-year final exam but nothing like it is now. I was lucky that I didn't have to do that. I, don't, I think if there was more school to be done, I don't know if I would have been up for that <laughs> and, the, and the money and, and the financial hurdles to that too. So I was lucky to, uh, you know, after five years, I had my class A and, um, and I was ready to play. I wanted to play tournament golf. I, I, was, I was, you know, I loved the uh, atmosphere around the club at Beach Grove. The members were great and they always promoted uh, opportunities to play in, in tournaments locally. And so I tried that. I, I tried to compete on the Canadian tour after one kind of local year where I kind of thought I was the guy I'd won a few tournaments and I was ready to go. And I said, let's try and find some money. So my pro hustled up a couple members and I think I had about 10,000 in my, in my bank account. And I went across and probably two months later I was done. I was like, Oh, this is so hard. <laughs> and I was, I was broke and I got a phone call that probably, altered my career a little bit rather than just coming back and, you know, keeping training. Uh, I got a call from the athletic department of UBC saying the coach Dean Sprittle, you guys probably know mm -hmm. Dean, you know, um, yeah. Dean was retiring, uh, from the coach and they were looking for a, a head coach. Would you want to come and, and, uh, you know, try out for the job? It's pretty much yours, but, uh, here's you come and come in August and find out what it's all about. And if you want the job, it's yours. I said, well, I'm pretty much broke. So, uh, yeah, I'll be there. So going <laughs> to come in at a better time. I, yeah. I came back after, I think about three months of, you know, a little bit of Monday qualifying on the Canadian tour. I went down and played the Dakotas tour with a buddy. Uh, we drove down in his truck and, uh, 
and he left a month early and I was stuck down there <laughs> without a car. It was, uh, it was quite a first experience. Did, where does Australia fit into the mix here? Oh, that, so that, uh, I mean, I, I came back, I came back to work, did three years coaching the, uh, university team. Um, I coached both the men's and women's in my last year. I was at Beach Grove as I was doing that. And, uh, and then I got a great opportunity from uh, the athletic director, Bob Highmarsh, who, um, who just saw the struggle I was having traveling back and forth from Tawasson to coach the team. And he just thought it would be a lot easier if I was at a Vancouver golf course. And that way, maybe the team could train out of there. So he approached the, the head pro at Shaughnessy uh, on my behalf. And he said, you know, I, uh, our coach at UBC, great guy, he's, he's, but, he's, but he's teaching golf out at, uh, in Tawasson. It's a long way away from how about you hire him at uh, Shaughnessy or at least give him a chance to have an interview. And if you like the guy, well, maybe you can hire him as assistant pro. And why don't we, if it works out for you, why don't we send a proposal to, uh, to Shaughnessy that uh, maybe Shaughnessy becomes the, the host course, the home course for the, for the men's and women's team. And lo and behold, after uh, you know, an interview and he was fully supportive, the membership uh, signed off on it. And uh, I did a year with Shaughnessy, and that was where the, the course uh, traveled, uh, trained out of. And to this day, they still train out of there. And uh, it's been a great relationship for them, too. That's really good. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of I took a detour from playing. Um, I got busy coaching and, and fundraising. You know, if I said anywhere, I had to learn how to, you know, sell and, uh, and fundraise and raise money. It was great for my VGT career by getting kind of my feet wet there. Uh, and having to raise money for the team so we could travel more and raise, raise scholarship money for them. Uh, Bob Heimers was a, was a great a mentor for me and, and Marty Zlotnick who has done, you know, more for BC golf than a lot of other people. He started, uh, probably 30, 40 years ago. Um, it's called the Thunderbird golf association. And, you know, his goal was to just con continue to raise funds for the golf men's and women's golf programs. So that they would have more scholarship opportunities because the the athletic department just wasn't uh, able to pitch much in. There was a couple of uh, scholarships, and you know, if if he hadn't raised money, there might have been two tournaments on the calendar. When Marty stepped in there, he did an annual golf tournament. He would raise forty to fifty thousand. That paid a little bit of salary, and it managed to get the guys traveling to maybe ten or twelve events. And now I've I've heard that uh, the endowment fund, thanks to him. And thanks to the coach and all the alumni that support it, um, I think there's an there's an endowment of almost two million dollars now uh, wow. for the team to, wow. to work off, and and they now they just work off the interest every year, and the endowment continues to stay there at two million, and they 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 scholarship I think six six players for the men's and women's team, and it's a thriving uh, university golf program. Yeah, That's no huge. kidding. See, yeah, I, one thing that just to kind of jump in for a sec, I've always found very interesting about BC and like, obviously I get it. You can play there pretty much all year round and there's so much competitive golf and there's so many players that are just, they just breed good players over there. I mean, especially in the last few years, if you look at the guys on tour, I mean, BC just continues to produce great players, but th that must've been interesting, especially for you when you started the VGT and you start looking at building up these funds to find this other Avenue for these guys to play. And it's like, why doesn't, why don't other provinces do that? I mean, Alberta has probably like one of the craziest golf scenes per capita and for the amount of time you can actually play. And we have nothing like the VGT. And it's like, there's a lot of players here. 
I yeah. mean, that, the funding it's, it's alone. It's the guy. It's the guy at the reins, man. I mean, a testament to what Fraser does. This guy does not sleep. I don't think, but. I know guys have tried in Alberta and it's just never been successful. And I think that's just a testament to what, what mm-hmm. Fraser does in, in his relationship with golf in BC for sure. It takes a team. And, uh, you know, I, I, we wouldn't be here without every, every single person and every single sponsor who has gotten involved. And, you know, I'll, I'll shoot to, I'll fast forward a little bit from, you know, after UBC. And when I went back to thinking about playing it was 1999. And actually, two years before that, I, I sat on, again, thanks to Bob Highmarsh, um, with UBC, we we, uh, we sat on the committee for the Greater Vancouver Open, and it, which became the Air Canada Championship, yep. which was on the PGA Tour. I went to for that, two years, Yeah, it was, a, it was a great tournament. And um, so for How'd two years... How'd you play in that, Fraser? You played in that, didn't you? I did. I managed to get in there. And uh, it, was a, it was the best experience as a player that anyone could ever get, I think, because for two years, I sat on this uh, volunteer committee and we basically got to know 500 volunteers uh, who were basically marshals for the tournament. Uh, we we uh, went to every golf course in the lower mainland. We gave them an opportunity to build a team and they would own a hole. And so for two years, I got to know all the captains and all the people at all the meetings. And uh, two, fast forward two years later, I Monday qualified for that event and I played basically in front of those 500 people Wow. who were sitting along the ropes watching, man, oh, man, there's Fraze. He was the, the captain. Yeah. Now he's in the term. It was, like, it was the coolest experience that you could ever experience as a player. And the guys that I played with, That's what <laughs> they I had no idea ask. who I was, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, Fraze! Fucking high fives in the ropes. <laughs> I had like 200 people along the, my first tee shot. And they're like, who the heck is this guy? Monday qualifier, right? And they're like, the guy says to me at the end of the first round, oh man, you should run for mayor. It's like, you're right. You I'm good at the contacts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're hitting it to 50 feet and there, there's a hundred people clapping and we're hitting it to six feet. We got nothing. <laughs> Who'd you play with? I had, uh, I had actually my first go, um, Alan Bratton, who is now the, uh, the golf coach at Oklahoma state. Mm-hmm. and uh and he was a great guy uh he was about my age and then there was a guy who was a little bit older than us and he was actually on the champions tour already um and he was a he was an old codger uh, rw eeks and he was a grumpy he was a grumpy mother crotchety old bastard <laughs> oh. and he played he was playing pretty good until the last nine holes and we went back onto the back nine or the front nine and he went uh he went bogey double and then he was just hacking around the trees he was probably now four or five over and the cut was going to be even and he gave us the old uh ah, guys uh i kind of did something my wrist there on the trees uh gonna have to call it a day uh here's my card and the clubhouse is right there and i'm like see you bud yeah <laughs> and, you know because we weren't having much fun like alan and i weren't playing very well we were both about five or six over and we knew we weren't gonna make the cut but as soon as he left, we're like, oh, thank God. Fuck, that was painful. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was just an awesome experience. And uh, I got back in 2002 uh, and played it again. And um, I mean, I, I had no chance of making the cut. I was, you know, as my buddy said to me, uh, yeah, Fraze, uh, he who caddied for me, he says, yeah, Fraze needed a, a Depends sponsor. 
because he was <laughs> shit. He was shit himself. That was my first experience with the PGA Tour event, and like I, we followed VJ around for like most of the front nine. And it was just, I was like, oh my god, like this is how guys actually hit it. Like, yeah, this is insane. Like it was so nice just watching these guys tear this course apart, and you're like, oh, this is VJ in his prime. Like, okay, I actually so. had, I, I mean, there's a lot of cool experiences. One was uh, popping up for lunch and you got to invite your family into the dining room for the player's lunch. And, uh, and VJ was sitting right there. And uh, so we got to chat with him a little bit and his family. And uh, yeah, there's just those uh, memories that pop out uh, uh, that come to, to fruition. Uh, my caddy was, um, I went to get a quick haircut. They were doing haircuts for charity. And uh so I sat down and got a quick haircut and told my caddy, I'll meet you on the driving range. So he goes up and set, he sets me up, sets my bag up and I get out, I get out there and I go on the left is uh chip Beck, who'd shot 59 mm-hmm. just a while ago. And on my right was uh Payne Stewart who just won the no U S open. Cool. And I'm like, Oh God. And I mean, how's this, I how's totally, this company that you're in? Hey, eh? like, I was, wow. I was totally tin cupping it in my head. Like, you know, <laughs> Before Tin Cup even was on, I think when I uh, I didn't hosel anyone and hit anyone on the ankles, but it sure was in <laughs> my head. Speaking yeah. of which, what like when you're playing in an event like that, what is the first tee shot like? The nerves that are coming through you, like what is that actually like? Because I know even just in a skins game with the boys, when you want to play real good, like the first one's always a little more tense, right? And just yeah, maybe walk us through that. Yeah, no, I mean when I saw the crowd and I, there was an article came out after I Monday qualified from a local writer in the Vancouver sun. And it was like a full page, you know, local hero. And I mean, I was like, so all my buddies, all my people, all the people that I was teaching, uh, there were literally, there were probably a couple hundred people on, on the ropes and it was the tent. It was the first hole. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're starting to think of all the things you haven't thought about for a long time <laughs> that, Oh my God, don't top it. I mean, luckily it's a, luckily it's a driver. I think if it wasn't a driver, a big hit, a driver. And I'm, if it was an iron off the tee, it would have been like, don't kill anybody. A little off punch the shot. Rope. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I hit it up in the air. It was decent. I hit it in the, the fairway bunker, but, uh, you know, no one got, no one got killed. And, uh, I hit it on the green from there. So, uh, uh, nice. I, I three putted the first three holes. I think I was so nervous on the greens. It was just like, Oh my God, these are so fast. I've never seen greens this fast before. And it was funny because I'd never, other than the practice run, I'd never played Norfie before. And, you know, living in the lower mainland for whatever, 30, 30 years up until that, you know, I would, would have thought that I would at least played it a few times, but uh, it was just one of the courses we never really got on. Mm-hmm. So uh, just great experience. Yeah. And it's, a, it is a bit different out there. Like, cause I mean, I looked at moving out to Vancouver and I was younger and working in the industry and, you kind of talk to guys and they're like, yeah, you, you know, you just can't go play like you do here. And it's like, wait, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I don't want to go out there and work at a track and not get to play. Like, it's the best part. Like, I don't know. I always well, found the Vancouver golf scene a bit different, but. Yeah. If you know, if you know the guys, it's, it's kind of, you know, if you know the guys, you send a, an email a week before, you know, and you say, how is it uh, this day? And. You know, I'm going to bring a few guys. It's always nice if it's a public track and you bring a few uh, paying customers, then mm-hmm. never going to be a problem, right? But if you know, if it's three or four guys, pros, if uh, if you pitch up on and you know, ask for like an eight in the morning, Monday morning, 
no problem. We're at three in the afternoon, no problem. But you just got to know when to ask and when not to ask. And, yeah. uh, and always, you know, politely say, you know, I'll pay green fee. It's no big deal. You know, just let me know. And if, as long as you're not asking for prime time on a Saturday or Sunday. And, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Most guys are pretty good about it. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you don't, if you aren't, uh, you know, if you don't go about it the right way, you're going to get stung, right? You walk in there and say, yeah, PGA. Yeah. hundred bucks, please. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where's your card, bro? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think, I don't know. It's been, uh, Edmonton is a, is a very different scene, but even Edmonton too. I mean, you can't just expect those things. Never. There is a pretty good supportive conglomerate of guys that kind of went to school with each other or know each other. And it's pretty close knit, but yeah, you still got to ask and mind your P's and Q's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. But uh, we'll kind of fast forward here then. So when when you're kind of, you, you know, you put in your time, you've been in the industry for so long, and it's it's probably not so much the professionals that you're looking at. It's a lot of amateurs or people that are just turning professional that aren't in the industry just wanting to make it somewhere with golf. When did you see that there was something missing, that there needed to be that tour for that other outlet for guys to play on? And like, what was the response when you first started talking about it with people? Well, it came, the, the whole idea came to fruition from me playing and, you know, sort of, I, I mean, I, I had to did my traveling. I did a little bit of the Canadian tour on my second time around uh, after about four or five years of not playing. I went across Canada again one more time. Uh, I, I qualified, got my card and, you know, it was just, it was the expense I think of, uh, of traveling and and then i i just didn't have sponsors so i would i'd work in the summer and play as much locally and then i'd go away in the winter and that's where um australia came about i i said i want to go and play in australia i've heard great things about it and you know i bundled my money up from the summer i, I did a pro-am and i raised some more money that way and um it was journeying across uh, australia where i kind of went wow these guys have it so dialed in there were so many playing opportunities the entry fees were low Purses were high. They were all well sponsored, mm-hmm. and it was it was a player's mentality. They wanted to develop players, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, no, no kidding. That's why they have twenty five players in the PGA Tour because it starts from the PGA, and their PGA and our PGA are totally different. Um, you can grow up through the PGA program as a club pro. Uh, first of all, you have to, as an apprentice pro, you have to play fifty rounds of golf. And that's where you become a, even assistant pro. You have to have a scoring average. You have to submit these scores to the PGA 50 rounds and your average has to be 76 or better. Wow. Otherwise, wow. otherwise try again. Wow, so that's, that's the first thing was, wow, that's competitive, right? But that's, that's very like that follows suit to like the rest of the sports that they deal with. They don't That's just like the like, UK too. Yeah, yeah. They, they really push developing sport, like it, beyond golf, like footy, especially like Aussie rules, foot, uh, rugby, tennis. and football, like tennis. Yep. it's insane. Like their academies are so big, and they really push the development on everyone from a young age on. Yeah, I, I noticed that, and I noticed that um, you know every event you played in, I mean, there would be a pro am. There'd be a hundred pros. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, how do you get a hundred? Well, you put out uh, 60 pros in the morning and they just play. And then the real pro-am goes in the afternoon. You're like, okay, well, we've never tried that here. It's just normally it's 30 pros, right? 
And so they would get 80 to 100 players in that event. And all of a sudden the purse, you know, was raised up to 20,000. And the, the entry fees were like 50 bucks. I'm like, wow. So they were getting support. They were get our version of, I think, ICBC was yep. involved in sponsoring the whole circuit, the Pro-Am circuit. And the message was, you know, Australia is big. And you drive from one place to the next. You could drive for hours and hours. And their messages were all about driving, driver safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was called Rest, Revive, Stay Alive. Yep. And, and that was a places. big message at a lot of these uh, tournaments was, uh, you know, driver safety. And there were lots of other sponsors too, but, um, they were, they were just well-sponsored and that. I think that was, a, it was a community, right. That we want golfers to succeed and we're going to give them all these opportunities to graduate from the PGA pro-am circuit. And if you play well in this, in this, in this circuit, then you're going to get a, a chance to play in the, the new South Wales open. And, and then the next month of circuits goes into another region you play those and the winner of that circuit for five or six events will get to play in the one in sydney and uh and that's just how it was and 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 that's how you kind of got status there was obviously a q school and i went to the q school and i I didn't get through but because i had a canadian pga card i was able to go across half the country anyway and play i probably played 20 or 30 pro-am events and just gained a lot of experience even the, the Australian Open, it was open for me to try and qualify. And, and I qualified for that. I had one great day and, uh, and I made it into that. And I had a buddy, uh, uh, an Australian guy who had, I was teaching with at McCleary at the time. He was back visiting family. So it was a really cool experience. Where did he, they host uh, that when you were me. playing? What's that? Where did they host that when you, got, when you qualified? Uh, it was a golf course called The Grand. Um, okay. It was in the Sydney area, yep. the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, there were some big, Ernie Els played that, uh, Adam Scott played in it, and Alan B, Apple B. I mean, it was a big event, and it was it's really hard for me anyway. I learned that I needed to practice a lot more in the wind because it yeah. was always windy. I found golf and, down uh, there so difficult. Yeah. Like, just the turf alone. I was like, I don't know what Different I'm doing turf. off this. <laughs> uh, the, the greens, I've never played greens so firm before mm-hmm. and so fast, and they were... They slope and bunkered. If you hit it in a back bunker with, with the green tilted away, it was rolling off the green into the water. And so I think the cut was plus five. Wow. And <laughs> I was like, I missed. I was like plus eight. But um, oh. I'll still never forget on the, the last hole. <clears throat> we were the last group to come in on, on Friday. And one of the guys in my group was playing pretty good. He was right around the cut line. He was an amateur. And uh, there was some sky boxes and People were getting pretty loud back there drinking and uh, there were probably a dozen pros standing on the back of the green, all waiting to find out if this guy makes a par on this hole or not. If he makes par, they're all tailgating it out of there. If he mo- if he bogeys it, he's still going to make it in and they're going to make it in. And he's got a 30 footer above the hole and he leaves it like four feet short <laughs> and everyone, you can see the leaderboards, right? The murmuring, and uh, and he and he dribbles it in the front edge, and they're all like, "God damn!" <laughs> and they're this guy burns out of the parking lot so fast, <laughs> hilarious. But uh, didn't want to get beat up. <laughs> yeah, but so I, I mean, just you know, I don't want to um, labor too long on that. But no that's worries. sort of where it started was uh, learning what I learned out in Australia, and then I traveled to South Africa the following year, and the same thing. 
they had plenty of opportunities to try and Monday qualify for a lot of events. Um, and it was not expensive to travel because it was condensed. Uh, South Africa is a smaller country and you could travel and drive from, from event to event. And I really brought those experiences back home with me after, you know, spending way too much money, being way too broke and credit cards that were way too high. Um, I, I figured that, oh, wow, if I did that, what are other guys doing? And there's other guys who didn't take that journey as long as I did and go as broke as I did. But there's a lot of guys who left golf before they probably should have because of the expenses and because of they didn't want to do what I did. Right. Um, and so let's let's think about what we can do here locally to to create something locally for these guys that's uh, as, as as professional as possible. Try and find some sponsors and give them an opportunity to do it from home and not have to go find it and spend 30, 40, 50 grand a year just to figure out if they're good enough or not. And I think that's probably the the biggest thing that's allowed guys to to stay in the game and to figure out if they can do it or not is the cost. It's it's only it's maybe five grand to play our whole year from home. They're not going to make a hundred grand, but they're going to, they're not going to outspend themselves in their first two or three years. And they're going to learn how to win. Right. Which is kind of the important thing is just putting yourself in that environment to be like, do I have what it takes to hang here? Right. And it's like, okay, yeah. if I'm going to spend 15 grand to go try Q school, but like the realistic chance of me succeeding at, at this is, is not very high, but the, the, very real number of $15,000 of debt that I'm going to be putting on my MasterCard and Visa is like going to follow me around for a very long time. So I think that, yeah, it's amazing that you went over to Australia, kind of saw how they're doing things. And I, I love the creativity there of like, okay, just send out the pros because it doesn't matter. We don't have to do this the way that it, it seems like is the way to do it. Where one pro with a group. No, let's be a little creative here because now we're driving the costs down and the winners can win a little more that now you're making this more viable for people. Cause it's like, yeah. Do you want to go pay a thousand bucks to get an event that like, unless you win it, you like yeah. actually make a return on your money. Otherwise like you're just donating to the pot. Well, it, I mean, especially here, like use Edmonton as an example. I mean, other than playing in the PGA events, a lot of times it's just the pro-am circuit and there's a lot of guys that want to play in these pro-ams like they're really fun events but they fill up so fast and it's like okay well i guess next year like yeah. the payout's good for a lot of these events yeah probably better than the pga events so it's like man i'd really like to get in that as well so i mean i think it's great to do it that way well and I, I thought so too. I tried to uh, initiate that on a, a couple of pro-ams and um, we went off and, and did it for a couple. And it was unbelievable how much um, sort of fight back there was for some of the players when they're getting to play in the morning and the greens are perfect and we're, we have to play with these guys who are hacking around and, and the greens are firm and it's windy and Okay. And that was that. It was like, we did it for a year. We had an extra 12 guys. So now there was like 40 players, 40 pros. The purse was higher. And then all of a sudden, ah, let's not do that next year. It should just be a qualifier to get into the morning rounds. Then that's what you do. Hey man, you right. want to play? You want to try and earn some more? You got to play the day before and see where your place is. Yeah. Pretty simple. It's like, a, there you go. It's like time trials been... in NASCAR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was say, it's yeah. like racing. Yeah. There have been a few players, Fraser, that have come through the VGT and gone on to success. So do you want to maybe touch on those players with our listeners? 
Well, one of them did very well uh, just yesterday. Um, he, he backdoored another top five. And uh, I was actually sitting with his dad uh, just yet, over the weekend, Jerry Hadwin, uh, Adam Hadwin's dad. And uh, we, we talked just about that, that he's pretty good at doing that. Um, you know, Sundays are pretty good days for him. And then shoots a 66, I think, yesterday and uh, sneaks his way into the top five. And um, yeah, Adam's probably, well, Adam came across us before Nick did um, in 2009. And, um, he chose to kind of develop his game a little bit slower than some guys who want to chase the Canadian tour in their first year. He, uh, he didn't have uh status yet on the, on the Canadian tour. I think by the time he had graduated, I think maybe the Q school had already happened. So it was a matter of, I was either going to Monday qualify my way across Canada or, um, Hey, well, my dad said VGTs around. So let's give that a go. And so he decided he had some sponsors behind him. I think it was a question in his head, like, I'm not quite sure if I'm ready for that or if I'm good enough for that. So let's just check this out first. And um, it worked great for him. He won four times. He had, I think, three runners, runners up. It was, uh, if, if uh, he had played a few more events, he would have won the order of merit. Bryn was just a, you know, a soldier. He played, you know, 10 more events and yeah. just, just beat him in the order of merit. But we could clearly see that Adam Hadlin was going to go places uh, after that season. He, I remember playing with him in the first round of the Ledgery Open in 2009. And I, you know, I wanted to see, I'd seen him in a couple of events and I'm like, this guy's pretty good. I'm going to pair myself with him and see what he's got. And he blew me away. Like he was hitting in places that I'd never seen other guys I played with. It's got um, such a nice move. Great move so of the powerful. ball. So easy, mm-hmm. you know, kids five foot eight, 155. What the heck? Um, he's hitting a 30 by me. Man, thank God my career's almost over. You know, yeah. <laughs> thank goodness. Fired up. Yeah, thank he goodness fired your up. career is helping these guys figure out their path, right? Like that's a nice. <laughs> yeah. You made the right move. <laughs> I made the right move. Yeah, I'm like, whoo. Okay, it's, I'm done. It's unfortunate too, <laughs> like you, a guy like that who's so good, who came out of the tour a bit later, and it's like, like you said, he just snuck backdoor another top five. I didn't see a single shot out of him this week. And right. you watch him on tour at any other week, and it's like, hey, man, I saw two shots all week, and you finished T2. Like, yeah. I don't know. I wonder if it's because he came on tour a bit late that they're just like, it's eh, like Nick. or Canadian, I guess. It's like Nick at Pebble. It's like Svensson. It's like Pendrith. It's like any of those guys. I mean, there's not a lot of focus, but it's nice to see there's becoming a Canadian presence on the leaderboards now. Definitely. Well, you, you- you can't deny that the Canadian presence is so much greater now um, than it ever has been. You know, I think eight players on tour and there's consistent top tens from these, from these guys, Nick winning again. Um, uh, that was amazing. Pebble. Yeah. What a, what a venue. Pebble. And um, yeah, no, we're, we're extremely proud of, of what uh, I think the VGT done for, for both Nick and Adam and, and a lot of young, young players that are starting to get their feet wet and learn how to, you know, to play competitively and find their way on Sunday, find their way to the final group, learn how to do it or not do it the first time, and then continue to just gain a little more confidence every time they do step up in the battle yeah. uh, against against players. And the great thing about our tour is it's got a lot of great players that have been out there. You know, Bryn Perry played all the way up almost on the PGA Tour, uh, yeah. played a, a season on the Nationwide Tour. Phil Jonas did play on the PGA Tour. I mean, these guys are great to play with, to mentor not just on the golf course, but hey, thanks for the round, Phil. I was thinking maybe we could, uh, you know, have a chat about absolutely, and and they're great 
guys to mentor these guys uh, on and off the golf course too. What do the local guys think when a guy like Nick Taylor is playing in an event? I mean, I, when I saw that, I was like, really? I mean, I wonder if there's like some backlash off that. I, I think there might be one or two guys that say, oh man, really? And I honestly think it's just an awesome experience for all these guys to, uh, to be in the same field with them, to have a chance to be paired with them, whether they draw with him in the first round or play well enough to play in the final round. I'll tell you for John McClotic, you cannot get a better experience in your yeah. golf career to, to be paired with him, to, to come back from uh, five shots behind and uh, to shoot 28 on the back nine against the guy who's just won in the PGA Tour. I mean, the only thing that's negative about that story is that John still has to tee it up on VGT next <laughs> yeah. week. Like, uh, that's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And, you know, unless you want to go down into COVID-infested USA and start to tee it up uh, – <laughs> In Monday qualifiers, where there's where there's two spots now, yeah. like it's. Yeah, but have impossible. you seen any of the Monday Q scores lately? Like oh. guys are shooting eight, nine under, and, and getting Brad, in a playoff. Like Brad, Brad Frisch, one. Brad Frisch shot sixty three today and didn't get in. Right, oh. ridiculous. But I mean, yeah. that, but that's what you expect out of this, anyways. The minute they said there's going to be two qualifiers, well, because you got guys like high level corn fairy guys trying to make it out there, and it's like okay, well. There's zero chance. Like you have guys essentially like Lonto Griffin and Scotty Scheffler that you're playing against. It's like go at every that. pin. That's it. Yeah, that's your mentality, right? It's not even about managing the course. It's like fire at everything. Yeah. We're just going out for birdies. We're that's, out for they're blood. They're players. It's crazy. So it's crazy. Yeah. Fraser, what does the future look like for the VGT? How how is the VGT going to grow? What's the what's the outlook for one, three, five years kind of thing? We have to continue to develop our sponsorship deck and uh, continue to, to drive the media side of it. Uh, we've we've had very fortunate to have a local uh, media company that has been involved in the last two years that has been supporting through their own sponsorship, but networking with a lot of their partners that they do media for and they do marketing for and introducing them slowly but surely uh, to the Vancouver Golf Tour as a way to uh, market uh, their brands uh, with the banners. Uh, with the social media we do with the opportunities to come and network with the pros and some of the pro-ams. And that's what we need to do first and foremost is to build those sponsorship sponsorship levels so that they're, you know, not $2,000 and $5,000. There's gotta be another zero behind it. If we're going to grow it to the point where, you know, the guys are getting to play for, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars instead of, you know, 10,000, $15,000 purses. And, uh, cause that's where excitement comes along for these guys. Um, no one's getting excited about playing for a $500 first place check or $1,000 first place check. It's really hard to get these guys to drive their games forward when it's it's that week in, week out. And that's the hard thing about this year is we're down in quite a bit of sponsor money. So there's a little bit less to go in the purse. There's less bonuses at the end of the year. It's a tough year for everybody. We, we have some exciting news coming up. Um, one of our sponsors, a uh, local company, uh, it's called Gatekeeper Solutions. And um, he's going to pitch in another five grand, a little series. So the winner of the next uh, five events, they're going to get to go into this finals, uh, just be five or six of them playing for this 5,000. So everyone will, it'll be just kind of a fun event at the end of the year for them to play in. Uh, you know, the first place would be like two grand and then it'll, it'll scale down. So every little bit helps. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had some great supporters. Um, I, I mean, IGA has been amazing. Uh, 14-year title sponsor. It's a local grocery uh, store chain in BC. 
and uh, luckily they are uh, recession proof or COVID proof. Uh, so they were able to continue on for their 14th year this year. And, and uh, quite a few of their partners are involved, Canada Bread, now Grupo Bimbo. And uh, so, yeah, we're lucky to have uh, supporters. Uh, and, and, and mind you, I met uh, my contact from IGA was through my volunteerism at the uh, Air Canada Championship. So, you know, put your time in, uh, help develop golf, it'll come back to you. And that's my, my philosophy is, you know, if I keep doing things for people, um, when I have sponsors, I make sure I really look after them. I help them in golf as far as you need balls, you need you know, clubs, you need anything in golf, or you have friends that need that. We have great partners with Cleveland Golf Strix in Canada. You know, I'm sorry, I can't get you something from Titleist. It's not our brand, but Strixon's a great product. If you guys need anything, you know, you're going to get our pricing. You guys support us. I'm supporting you back. And that's been a, a real way for me to, to, to line in a few more sponsors is they see value in that. You know, they run a corporate tournament every year. They need a hundred, hundred dozen balls. They need a prize table with the golf stuff. I got it for you guys. I got your back. And, uh, but that's our goal is, is, is continue to grow the sponsorship, uh, continue to partner with great, uh, golf courses and, uh, the industry leaders that believe in what we're doing because those are the communities that will uh, help us out and uh, they'll help us negotiate uh, good rates with our facilities. Um, I'd love to get to the point where I'm like a Quebec uh, tour where they, you know, the Canada cup where it's $150,000 purse. And Man, that was, that I, was always the dream. Like being a CPGA professional, whenever we went and played out assistance championships out in Quebec or, I remember Mike Belvin specifically always talking about, man, if you really want to be a Canadian professional, you got to move to Quebec because that's where the money, that support from that, that industry in Quebec is just unbelievable. Yeah. It's, um, they're very fortunate to have a lot of big sponsors that, uh, support a Quebec sponsored tour, um, support your own. Right. Yeah. And, um, whether we get to those levels or not, I mean, they've been going at it for, you know, 40, 40, 50 years. We're at 15 years. So hopefully in 10 or 15, whatever the time is when I'm ready to retire, that I've got something I can pass on to someone as passionate uh, as I am that believes in what I do uh, and for, cares about the industry and the players that really need a place to play. Um, I mean, that's our goal is to, is to continue to build it out to the point where it's sustaining um, and sustainable, maybe even times like this when we don't have many sponsors find ways to sustain it that way. And, uh, we've, we've been thriving this year in player, uh, player enrollment memberships and, uh, the events have all been full with 20, 30, 40 waiting. And, uh, hopefully awesome. it's, I hate to say it, but COVID could be the thing that really has helped, uh, you know, continue to make VGT thrive even with uh, less sponsors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like, just to kind of wrap this question all up there with you, but like, there is one thing to support the pros, support your local pros, but like, again, to go back to the, you know, the basics of the tour, it's a developmental tour. What are, what are your guys' goals more for the junior side? Like, you know, we, obviously there's, there's been the McLennan Rosses, the, Ma the Maple Leaf tours, but this seems like it has the potential to be the junior tour in a sense, like besides the Canadian juniors. But I, I think there's a really great opportunity there to, really push it like we talked to um max max the other day and i mean the way that he speaks about it it was just it's like wow this is like a this is a professional event for these kids and 
that's what they need. I mean, we all know that golf is struggling in a sense. Maybe not right now. It doesn't look like it, but golf has been on the decline for many years. And there this needs is to that be a resurgence. Push. Yeah, there needs to be a push on the junior side more than the pro side, in my opinion. Yeah, growing again. And I think for like sure. you guys really have something good there to push the juniors even farther than they were planning before. Yeah, I, I agree. There's definitely a, a, a great marriage there between what the juniors get to learn when they play with <laughs> some older players and getting to level, you know, see the level of, of play. Like we're not we're not putting the juniors out on the forward tees. They're playing the same tees, whatever your handicap is. So they're getting to see what they shoot from, you know, 6,800 yards. That's great. And, um, and there's some kids that are 14 year olds and they're stepping it up and they're shooting, you know, 69s, 68s. And they're, and they're thinking, wow, I'm pretty good. Right? Yeah. I can be out here. It validates me. It <laughs> validates my claim. That's insane. That was a question we did have about Max. Yeah. We're like, what <laughs> tees is he playing from? But like, yeah, now that just, that's insane. That's so cool though for a kid that is good at golf to get that opportunity to get out there. Cause it's, there, there's so many life skills that you're going to pull from that, right? Like keeping it together when you're stressed out and you just hit one in the bunker, got a fried egg lie and you could put it in the water, right? Like there, there's, there's something to like, whether like, even if you do hit it in the water and you make an eight, right? Like just going through that experience once gives you so much to reflect on and like, it, it you realize it's not that bad right like because that's one of the things that tour players seem to do really well is they just don't dwell on anything right because it's like yeah okay birdie. Like, talking to james allenby it's like he's like i know i'm making birdies but i didn't know i shot 63 until i like tallied it up at the end and it's yet this weekend i was golfing with my sister's boyfriend and like the whole way around it's like He's just doing calculations. Oh, this is my best <laughs> round. No, no, wait. And the wheels are falling off. And it's like, no, man, just close the scorecard. Just focus on the shot right now because that's what's yeah. important. And I think that's yeah, beautiful that well, you're doing that. And I think that's definitely something that we were missing as kids around here. There wasn't there wasn't the junior golf. Of it. Like, there was the McLennan-Ross and Maple Leaf Tour when I got older. But, like, McLennan-Ross was Alberta-wide. So, unless I wanted to travel the whole province, I might only get two opportunities in Alberta or three opportunities this summer. And it's like, it's still summer. There's still things going on. And if you're saying there's 50 events in the VGT and a lot of junior possibilities and that, I mean, geez, man, like that's how you grow the game. Yeah. And it's yeah. all local too. And that's a nice thing. Like Fraser touched on. It's about not breaking the bank. A lot of these families maybe yeah. can't afford to have that luxurious travel and the accommodations and the, and the road trips and such. And it's, it's concentrated so it's accessible and it's inclusive for everyone and that's what makes it fantastic yeah yeah it's been uh it's been amazing to see uh, the excitement in all the kids faces the pro journey was a really cool event uh for them to get to play with the pro and i think we're going to definitely develop that more um you know there's a good local sponsor there one of our members um they've an investment group there and uh he kicked in some money to the pro purse and made some nice prizing for the, for the juniors. I still remember as a kid when I was about eight, eight years old and I was playing a three on three uh, soccer tournament in Scotland and just getting to meet uh, our, our teammate at the finals. And we got to meet one of the, the top players for the Aberdeen football club. And just that, I still remember it like 43 years later, you know, yeah. getting like Pretty shake cool. his hand and nervous and playing and knowing that he was watching. I mean, you can just, think about those kids are doing what they're thinking when they're playing with one of the top pros and totally. what a great day that is for them. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. and they treat them like a human, and they like acknowledge them as golfers, yeah. and like yeah, just to build healthy confidence in someone. That's like an important process. I feel in that yeah. development is yeah, like let's get them comfortable in this environment because there's yeah, there's so much surface level stuff that if it's your first time, like yeah, it's your first time once, and that's a crazy experience. But you don't want to deter someone from ever coming back because they shanked it into the woods and like <laughs> yeah. right. It, so that's, that's intimidating, right? Yeah. I mean. I plan yeah, on doing sure. that on Sunday, so don't worry about it, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so, Fraser, we've kind of gotten a good idea of, well, everywhere that you've been, what you've achieved, and what you're looking forward to doing, but we always like to ask, like, what is the most shocking thing you've seen in your golfing life? Like, you've been to Australia, you've been to South Africa, you've been all over Canada and the U.S., I mean... There's we need the wow a story factor. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can bring this one up, actually. Usually uh, oh, you can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> well, it was quite shocking when we were in Australia. And uh, there was there, one golf course. They ha- There must have been uh, three, 400 kangaroos on the golf course. And um, I'll just say Uh-oh. there was no act but there was something growing out of its pouch Uh-oh. that was a little disturbing <laughs> on the side of the green. And that was a little bit shocking. I'd never seen, well, kangaroo naked, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, that was, yeah, it was a little disturbing. Getting yeah. a look inside <laughs> that mystery bag is a little more than you wanted. Yeah, does yeah. you make that putt? Do you mark and wait? Like, how does that, oh, how does that, that work? It's definitely one eye over my shoulder. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to bend over and get the ball out of the hole. That's when you need the suction cup on the back of the putter. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think I'd almost take that rather than drive it down those, like, lonely roads where there's just lineups <laughs> of dead ones everywhere. And you're like, oh, my oh, God, man. these people were aiming for them. Like, they're vicious down there. Yeah. Another... Another story, a quick one for me, when I was actually coaching golf uh, quite a bit in, in Tawasson, and it was sort of one of my, there's a student that was just a bit like really into it. And obviously I'm trying to give direction. And um, I remember te- telling the student, you know, swing the club up to the top of the swing and pause there for a sec, right? So he swings it back. I move in to, you know, you know, to direct and, and obviously he never heard and he just came down and the shaft just like went right across my, my back of my head. And I was like seeing stars for like 30 seconds. I'm like, what just happened? Right. And he kind of looks back at me like nothing happened. Right. Like, like what were you doing gosh. in my way? Yeah. Man, that was pure. It was, it's it's <laughs> always that nightmare of like, like teaching junior lessons, really? right? And the kids are swinging full into your head. Yeah. Oh, it was that scary. part of a drill or something, right? Like I, I don't <laughs> understand your ways, coach, but I feel yeah. like I just clipped that, you in the head. What's gonna happen? Like keep my shallow planer or my my uh, plane shallower than that? <laughs> yeah, that's so uh, dodge yeah. my head with the shaft of your club. <laughs> oh man. He was a high school principal too. Uh-oh. Jeez. <laughs> Sounds oh. like an ulterior motive. Probably I've still ever heard of <laughs> <lessons>. Yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. Exactly. But Fraser, we can't thank you enough for your time today. Like I know we've kind of borrowed a little too much of it, but no honestly, problem. it was such a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. And I mean, we'll be out in van next week and hopefully we can get together and maybe play some golf great. or go for a beer. 
Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to it, guys. Fraser, I appreciated it as well. Learning your story, learning the passion behind growing the game of golf is, yeah, that's why we're all here, right? We, we find something beautiful in this game, and we just want to share that with everyone. So from one person to another, I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate we're that, not going to let you off the hook that easy phrase. We need to extend to our listeners the best place that they can find information on the VGT and give us some of your social media outlets so that people can follow and, and become fans. Awesome. Uh, well, our website is uh, VancouverGolfTour.com. And we have uh, our, our biggest event of the year is called the Vancouver Open. And uh, information on it, we just got exciting news about that event uh, with the Vancouver City uh, parks boards, uh, just, just let us know today that we will be able to launch that event at the end of August. All right, so all that's right, it. Right. And our website for that is vancouveropen.ca. So stay tuned for details on that. And, um, yeah, our social media is, uh, at van, van golf tour, uh, both on Twitter and Instagram. Mine is at Vancouver golf and, um, at, at uh, Facebook, uh, slash Vancouver golf tour. And if none of that works, 603. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. 604, <laughs> 604, 980 golf. There you, go. you know what? Honestly, Easy. in Fraser's defense, there's a lot of people that have his phone number and his, his phone's always buzzing with text messages. So <laughs> not too far from the truth on that one. Fraser, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the show tonight. We really appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thank you, Fraser. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, everybody. Hello, 4Jack Podcast fam. It's your boy, Active Nation, and thank you for listening to the 4Jack Podcast. It would mean the absolute world to us if you could go hit that subscribe button and leave us a lovely five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. You know what? Because that would really make our day. Thank you, and let's keep on golfing, baby. I kind of like that last one. Okay. Then we're good. Got it.